Okay, if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Habakkuk. The book of Habakkuk, if you can find it. Over there after Nahum. The book of Habakkuk. Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk. And we'll be in chapter 1 tonight. And really, I probably should have gone through Habakkuk before we went into Revelation because it really kind of magnifies the purpose of Revelation because Habakkuk is, is a book where Habakkuk raises that age-old question, you know, why is there so much evil in the world if God is good? I mean, why are things so bad if God is good? George Harris, a character in Uncle Tom, was reflecting on the atrocities of slavery and uh, he was thinking about how any, at any moment his family could be separated, taken away from him. His wife could be sold to another master and his, or his children could be sold uh, from a, to another master. And in his anger, he, he spoke these words. He says, they buy, us, they buy us and sell us and make trade of our heart's blood. And we groan with tears and God lets them. He does. He lets them. Pretty sad understand why he would raise that question. Barnaby Rudge, the main character in Dickens' uh, book by that title, uh, speaking of the stars said, he says, the stars come out at night. Whose eyes are they? If they, if they are angels' eyes, why do they look down here and see good men hurt and only wink and sparkle at night? In other words, they see evil. God sees evil, and it seems that he does nothing about it. The psalmist asked that same question in several places. Let me just read one of them in Psalm 73. He says, the psalmist says, I was, this is Asaph, he says, I was envious of, of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, for, for there are no pangs in their death, but their strength is firm. They're not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge in a, with abundance. They have more than heart could wish. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their minds against the heavens, and their tongue walks through the earth, and God seems to do nothing about it. That's the question. That's the question the skeptic asks, and probably you've been asked that question before or faced that question before. If God is good, then why does God allow so much evil in the world? Well, the deists who call themselves Christians or consider themselves Christians, uh, they answer that question by uh, emphasizing the transcendency of God and they see God as a God who created the universe. He set things in motion. He set the laws in which the universe runs. And then he left mankind totally in charge. And so people sink or swim based upon the choices they make. Our founding fathers, for the most part, were deists. But a lot of people who call themselves Christians who are deists, they believe that it's up to us now. God's put us things in motion and, and, and whether we do good or whether we do bad is up to us. 
the atheist. I mean, his greatest defense of what he believes is, is this question of, of God's goodness. I mean, if God exists, then why is there so much evil in the world? English poet John Dryden sums up the atheist argument this way. He says, yet sure the gods are good, I would think so, if only they would give me a break. But virtue and distress and vice and triumph make atheists of all mankind. Well, let me correct Dryden. Virtue and distress and vice and triumph makes atheists of uh, those who don't know the Bible all mankind except those who do know the Bible. Because in the Bible, we find that the triumph of vice and the distress of virtue is only a temporary thing. It's not permanent. And that's the lesson Habakkuk is going to learn as we watch him in this diatribe with the Lord beginning in chapter number one. Now, he's a, he's a kind of prophet I like because he's honest with God. He's not, he's like Amos and Hosea. I mean, these guys were honest with God. I mean, God, what are you doing? You know, why are you doing it? Why are things like they are? And he, it's almost as if he questions the wisdom and goodness of God. But he's going to get an answer for uh his question, and, and that's why we have this little book. As far as an introduction goes, Habakkuk was one of the last prophets on the scene, one of the last prophets to speak, but one of the last prophets on the scene before Israel uh, went into captivity in 586. Uh, he more than likely was a prophet in the days of King Manasseh. If you know anything about Manasseh, you know that he was a very wicked king. Uh, Josiah was a pretty good king, but after him came uh, Jeconiah and Jehoiakim and Zedekiah, these were all really, really bad people, as Donald Trump likes to say. I mean, really, really bad people. And so you can probably date the book, seeing the, they went into captivity in 586 B.C. You can probably date the book somewhere around 600, 590 B.C. Nobody can be sure. But his name is interesting. The name Habakkuk means one who clings, one who clings, one who, like my cat, they cling to you, one who clings. And I think that's a very appropriate name. All of the names of the prophets, I think God ordained those before the foundation of the world, and they have very deep meaning, very appropriate meaning to the text, and especially the book of Habakkuk, this name, one who clings. Because towards the end of Habakkuk, we're going to hear that famous line, the just shall live by faith. What's it mean to live by faith? I'll tell you what it means to live by faith. You know what it means. It means to cling to God with everything you have, no matter what comes your way. Gail Irwin used to talk about the pet bulldog he had that he could, he could uh, had a rope and he'd let the dog get a hold of the rope and that dog would cling to that rope and he wouldn't let it go under any circumstance and you could pull the dog he said you could pull him all around and he still wouldn't let go of the rope you could swing him around like this and he wouldn't let go of the rope and that's the way we have to be we have to cling to God and that's what it means when Habakkuk understood that later on that the just must live by faith and and so what an appropriate name for the book so so let's dig in here and beginning now in verse number one. 
It says the burden, the burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw. Now we know we uh, we've seen that word, the burden, before. Really, what's maybe a better way to translate the judgment which the prophet Habakkuk saw, uh, the judgment on Israel, the the southern kingdom. And listen to what he says. And here's where his and you're going to have this diatribe between the Lord and between Habakkuk. And the and the the uh, Habakkuk says, "Oh Lord." How long shall I cry and you will not hear? Even cry out to you violence, violence everywhere, and you will not save. I mean, now here's Habakkuk, and he looks around his nation, and it's given over to violence. There's violence in the streets. There's violence within families. There's violence in the schools. There's violence everywhere. People are killing people. They're they're raping people. They're robbing from people. And God seems to be silent. And more and more this was taking place to where it wasn't the minority that was doing this. It was the majority that was doing this. We're going to see in a minute, Abba is going to talk about being surrounded by the wicked. And that's the sense that he had. And so he says, how long, Lord, are you going to let this go on? I mean, I watch the news. I watch it way too much, probably. I, because it doesn't do any good to watch it other than to, to let you know what's going on and, and to depress you about how bad things are. But you just look at the news over the last couple of decades and just how bad things have gotten. I mean, just, just recently I saw where a 10-year-old boy raped a 3-year-old girl. I mean, what kind of society do we live in that that could take place? I remember a few years back when these, this 11- and 12-year-old little these little boys, remember they went to the elementary school and shot up the, the kids at recess and killed a bunch of kids at recess, 11 and 12 years old. And then you remember that guy, the, the milkman that went into the Amish school with a, with a shotgun and he killed all those little girls at point blank range? I mean, not to mention the terrorist attacks that we see, you know, almost on a monthly basis now. and It's only going to get worse and worse. See, People running over other people with trucks. I mean, Lord, how long is that going to go on? How long are you going to allow that to go on? You know, if you follow the statistics of crime in America, violent crimes in America, most of the years the most violent city in the United States is Washington, D.C. That's our capital, if you don't know that, if your geography is not good. That's the capital of the United States. That's pretty sad. You would think maybe in the capital it would be the lowest in the United States, but it's the highest in the United States. And so you say, how long, Lord, are you going to allow this violence to go on? And Habakkuk says, you know, Lord, in verse number three, why do you show me iniquity every day? Why do I see this going on every day and, and, and cause me to see all this trouble? I mean, why can't you stop it for plundering, stealing, robbing, cheating, and violence? are before me every day, and there's strife everywhere. There's strife in the, in the, in the cities. There's strife in the nation. There's strife, strife in the government. There's strife in the families. There is strife and contention everywhere. I mean, isn't that kind of a picture of the United States of America? I mean, there's strife everywhere. There's strife within the families. There's strife within the nation. There's strife certainly in our government. 
I mean, there's anarchists on the streets who are trying to bring this city down. The left doesn't care if it gets destroyed as long as they're in power. I mean, Lord, how long are you going to let this go on? When are you going to stop it? And look at verse number four. Therefore, because all of this is going on and you're doing nothing, the law is powerless. There's not enough policemen to take care of the evil people. There's not enough jails to put the evil people away. And so they're being let out on the streets. And so justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. There's more wicked than there are righteous. And everywhere you, wherever you go, you're surrounded by, by wicked people. Therefore, per, perverse judgment proceeds because the judges are perverse. The courts are perverse. The people on the, on the juries are perverse. I mean, you know, I, I, heard, I remember USAA telling me when these people were suing us for something that they did. And I remember them telling us that, that we live in such a society, especially down in New Orleans, and we were living in New Orleans where we don't even want to fight them. We just want to give them the money because, because the, juries are, the juries want to give them awards because when their turn comes, they want to get a big award, a judgment. And so they rule in favor of these people. I mean, how long, Lord, are you going to let that go on? But I tell you what, you better pack these days. I don't, but you bet you ought to. I mean, you better certainly have padlocks on your doors of your car and your home and any storage areas, anything like that you have. And you better have lots of liability insurance because people are going to sue and the system is perverse. And if you don't have the liability insurance and you get sued, you're going to go broke. Lord, when are you going to stop this and let justice and righteousness and truth reign on this earth? When are you going to stop it, Lord? When? Be careful what you ask God for. Be very careful what you ask God for. Now God's going to give Habakkuk his answer. And I don't know it's necessarily, in fact, I know it's one he's not going to like. Listen to the words of the Lord now. Look among the nations, he tells Habakkuk, and watch. Be utterly astounded, for I will work a work in your day, which you wouldn't believe, though someone told you. You're only going to believe it because I told you. It's going to be some kind of work. I'm going to stop this madness. I'm going to do it. Now Habakkuk hears this word from the Lord, and I think at this point he says to himself, man, that is, yay, that's really good news. I see what God's going to do. I know exactly what he's going to do. He's going to send a revival to the land, and all of these wicked people are going to be, become good people, and we're going to see truth and righteousness reign in our land again. A big theological problem with that, that thought. God does not override the choice of mankind, men and women. And when a nation becomes evil and wicked and it becomes exponentially evil and wicked, you had better look out because God's just not going to come down and zap the United States of America with, with now bad people become good people. He doesn't do that. The Calvinists will tell you he does that, but I don't believe for one minute he does that. I believe, there's, I believe God uses judgments to spark some kind of revival in the souls of men where they make the choice and then the spirit is, they're open to the spirit of God coming into their hearts and changing them. But he's just not going to pour out his spirit on, 
on the United States of America tomorrow and all this wickedness is going to go away. That's not going to happen. And what's got to happen in order to get people ready to, to repent, God's got to bring the hammer down on them. And, and, and Habakkuk didn't want to hear that. So look at verse number six. For indeed I am raising up the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, Nebuchadnezzar and his army. A brutal, they had a better translation there, and hasty nation. They had the fastest, most powerful army the earth had ever seen at this point. They had totally changed warfare. Instead of these cumbersome chariots that got stuck in the mud, they were on horseback. Instead of all this armor that all of these people would wear, remember what David did with that armor? What did he do? He put it aside. Why did he put it aside? So he could be fast and agile as he fought the giant. Well, they had a whole army of fast and agile people because they weren't weighted down with armor. And so they were swift. They were a hasty nation. And they marched through the breadth of the earth to possess dwelling places that are not there. They don't care. They have no moral fabric. They're coming in to take what they want and burn the rest down. They have no regard for God. Look at this. He says they are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity proceed from themselves. They could care less about God's goodness. They could care less about God's way. They do as they please. And their way is violent and brutal, more violent and brutal than what's going on in Israel. You think you've seen violence? You're going to really see some violence now, Habakkuk, because I'm going to judge my people. Now, they think their dignity, dignity proceeds from themselves. But really, who's in control here? God's predicting what they're going to do because God's going to allow them to do it. God is using them as the judge of Israel. So they're really not doing what they please. They're doing what God wants them to do. Verse number eight, their horses are swifter than leopards and more fierce than evening wolves. Their chargers charge ahead. Their cavalry comes from afar. See cavalry there. They're all on, not cavalry chapel. It's cavalry on horses. They're on horses. They fly as the eagle that hastens to eat. The fastest army, the, the, the greatest army on earth up until that time in history. They all come for violence. They're not good people. They're not nice people. They're coming to do brutal things to, your, to, your, to the men, women, and children of your nation. Their faces are set like the east wind and they gather captives like sand. They could care less about them. They gather them up and they gather everything that they want and kill the rest. And so no nation can withstand their assault. Here were the Israelites. They were a free people. Free. God had given them their freedom. And they had abused that freedom. And they had used that freedom to do wicked things. And so now their freedom's about to be taken away. But what do you, we got kings, we've got an army, we've got a government. What's the Babylonians think of that? They scoff at your kings, verse number 10. And the princes are scorned by them. They deride every stronghold, for they heap up earthen mounds to seize it. I mean, your mighty leaders, God says to Habakkuk, you're... Your princes, your army aren't going to be able to help you. Your fortresses aren't going to be able to withstand their assault because they're swift and mighty, but they're also patient. And when they get to your fortified cities, they're going to build mounds and they're going to bring their armies over the top of those mounds and they're going to burn the city down and 
take the people captive. That's, the, that's what the vision that, that Habakkuk is seeing. And then he's talking, I think here he's talking about Nebuchadnezzar in verse number 11. He says, then his mind changes and he transgresses and he commits offense, ascribing this power to his God, to his foreign gods, really later on to himself. Remember in, when after all of Nebuchadnezzar captive, uh, takes captive the, or uh, uh, conquers the entire world, then he gives himself the glory. He builds this statue, and then later on he sings this great poem about himself, and he learns the hard way that, that God gave him that power. Now, here's the prophet. He's heard this very terrible, or he's seen really this very terrible judgment and heard about this very imminent judgment that's about to come upon Israel. And he's thinking to himself, and he's already heard about the Babylonians, just like he knew about the Assyrians. They were brutal, pagan people, worse than any Israelite ever had been. And so he's going to try to rationalize with God and say, hey, why? how could you use this evil people to destroy the apple of your eye? And so look at verse number 12. He says, are you, Lord God, not from everlasting? And listen to what he says, oh, Lord, my God, you're not the God of the Chaldeans. You're not the God of the Babylonians or the Assyrians. You're my God. You're Israel's God. You're my Holy One. I mean, surely we shall not die, O Lord, at, not, at least not at the hand of these people. You've marked them for correction, the Babylonians, not us. Verse 13, you're, you're, you are of pure eyes than to behold evil. And you cannot look upon wickedness. And that does raise a theological problem because here is God using a, a people more wicked than the Israelites to punish the Israelites. And that's where a lot of people mess up in their theology. God created the devil. You got to go back and you got you to realize that he created the devil. God is not evil and there's no evil whatsoever in God. And Habakkuk's right, but God uses evil for his good. That's why he allows evil. And so, uh, no, he's, he's, his eyes are pure and he doesn't do anything that's wicked. But he uses wicked people and wicked things to do his bidding. So, but Habakkuk doesn't see that yet. He says, why do you look on those who deal treacherously and hold your tongue when the wicked devours a, purchase, a person more righteous than he? I mean, here are the Babylonians, and, and, and they're worse than we are. Certainly, you're not going to use them to destroy us. But here's the problem with the Israelites. The Israelites were God's people. They had been given the law. They had been given the oracles of God. So they were a privileged people. And I've said it over and over again, and the Bible says it over and over again. With great privilege comes great responsibility. And so they were more responsible for their evil ways than the Babylonians were. And they were the people that God was dealing with. They were the apple of his eyes. And in love, he's going to punish these people and judge these people so that he can save a few of these people before he destroys the nation and sends them off into captivity. So he says in finishing up the chapter in verses... No, I'm not finishing up yet. 14, 15. Let's go to 14, 15. He says... He says, why do you make men like fish of the sea? 
like creeping things that have no ruler over them. Now he's going to even question the way God has created us. He's really, he's, you know, God, we're, we're nothing. You know, I think Habakkuk thought he was something. But now he's realizing that God is going to use these pagan Babylonians to punish the nation. And, and, he, and he speaks for all of mankind. He says, why do you make us like fish of the sea? They get caught in the nets. The fishermen take them up in the, in the hook. He says, like creeping things that have no ruler over them. They have no really good leaders. They, they, they take them all up with a hook. They catch them with their net and gather them in their dragnet. Therefore, they rejoice and they're glad. I mean, we're, we're, we're no different from the fish. We're just as vulnerable as the fish are. I mean, to a fi- probably to a fish, the most evil thing on earth is a fisherman. And probably, I mean, to a, a nation like Israel, the most evil thing on the earth were the Babylonians. But God says, but Habakkuk says, hey, we're just like the fish. You're not going to even help us. We're helpless. Who was their help? The Lord was their help. And they had rejected the Lord. And so... They were going to pay a dear price for, for rejecting the Lord. And so Habakkuk saying, thinking, surely, Lord, you're not going to let us fall into the hands of these pagans, these people who, verse number 16, who sacrificed to their nets. And these people are really stupid pagans. They burn incense to their dragnet. The nets are their gods because by them... By them their share in sumptuous and their food is plentiful. Shall they therefore empty their net? I mean, these people never get satisfied in conquering who they're going to conquer. Should they empty their net in one nation and then come to our nation and, and slay us without any pity? I mean, Lord, how can you let this happen? I mean, how can you do this? How can you allow this barbaric nation to slay us without any pity? Well, Habakkuk answered that question himself in the first part of the chapter, didn't he? Because when he, when he made that indictment of Israel in the first few verses, I mean, he talked about how wicked they were, and he's asking God, why aren't you doing something about their wickedness? And God answers this question and says, I am going to do something about their wickedness. I mean, I think we're all a lot like Habakkuk. We look around and we say, Lord, get those wicked people. Do something about those wicked people. But when the Lord judges the wicked, we're impacted by it. I mean, if there's a hurricane that comes up here to judge the wicked people in Lafayette, you and I are going to be impacted by it too. And then we very well might question what the Lord is doing. One of my favorite preachers, he's an apologist named Walter Martin. He died back in the 80s, the late 80s, early 90s. But before he died, he engaged in several debates with well-known atheist. Uh, he would do this on college campuses and it would draw a good crowd and lots of publicity. And, and, uh, so he, he, and he was very good at what he did. If you ever get a chance to listen to Walter Martin's debates, listen to some of those debates. I think you can probably pick them up online. You might have to order them. I don't know. But I used to listen to him. On, he used to be the head of Bible Answer Man and he would 
play tapes of some of those debates, but, but in one particular debate, the atheist he was debating raised the question, the age-old question, and he had seen this before. He says, if God is good, then why does God allow evil? And so Walter Martin said, look, let me tell you what let's do. Let's pretend that you're God for a moment. And you think you can do better than God. What would you do if you were in charge of this universe? And he thought about it a second, and he said, that's a real easy question to answer. I would destroy all that is evil. And Walter Martin said, you realize what you just did. If you're God, you just destroyed me. You just destroyed every person in this audience. And you just destroyed yourself. Because there is none righteous. No, not one. That's why we have to be careful what we ask God for. Isn't it good to know that God's ultimate plan for dealing with evil is not destruction. It is restoration. It is mercy. It is grace. And that mercy and grace comes through Jesus Christ and the cross. That's why he allows this world to keep going on right now. Because he wishes that none should perish. And he's showing mercy to this world and he's showing mercy to this country as, as I speak. How much longer is he going to do that? I don't know. You want to read? ask the question, how long, Lord, are you going to let this go on? Well, we're going to answer that when we get to the book of Revelation. Not much longer. And it's going to be a bad, sad day when, Lord, when the Lord does bring the hammer down and blows those trumpets and the judgments come upon this earth. It's going to be sad, sad, bad, bad day. And I'm certainly glad he didn't start that process before 1989, before I got saved. So we have to be careful what we ask for. We're all wicked. We all need mercy. We all need grace. Every American needs that. That's what we need to be praying for. We don't need to question the goodness of God because God is good. But we know that God is merciful too. And God one day will judge the wicked. There's a hell for the wicked. But until that day comes, we're to be about the business of, of helping him in his uh, process of winning people to Jesus Christ. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you again for your word. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. Lord, we, we live in a very, very wicked world. And Lord, we were part of that world before you saved us. Lord, so we just ask that, that you continue to show grace on our nation, that you continue to lead people to your son, Jesus Christ, and that, Lord, that you enable us and empower us to be part of that process as we serve you and your kingdom. Lord, help us to show mercy. Help us to have have the endurance to, to not grow weary in doing good and to pray for the lost people that we know, Lord, to, to pray for your salvation for this lost and dying world, for the people that you're going to save.
Father, we just thank you for, for, again, for Jesus Christ and our salvation. We, it's in his precious name that I pray. Amen.